Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Don't Miss This Podcast, a Come Follow Me study with Emily Bell Freeman and David Butler. We fill this show up with all the things we think you don't want to miss in the scriptures every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Dave Butler. I'm Grace Freeman. Welcome to Don't Miss This. It's our scripture study class. Welcome to class, everybody. <laughs> that seems kind of sad. <laughs> like school. Oh, people, lo- people love it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to stop for a second. But, right? Don't you think there's a lot of people who wish they could come back Should to... Right, at least this is a good class. It's not math. Right. It's not math class. Yes. It's a good back, class. You get to come back to seminary again. You get to come back to institute. It's fantastic. It's fun. Uh, you guys, we were looking at the schedule just a second ago, and we are right there toward the very end of the New Testament. Luckily, the New Testament ends in two different ways. One, Christmas time. Yay! <laughs> and second, the book of Revelation. So some of the letters of Paul, they have just some powerful things in them, and we love it, but it's hard to read through because there's not so much story. So look forward to the book of Revelation. At least it will end the year in a bang, and then we get to jump into the book of Mormon, which is not very far away. And we're almost done with our secret surprise um, that we have for everybody to print off to help make the Book of Mormon come alive next year too. Once that's done, I'm going to try and print one up this week. Maybe next week we'll get to show you and you can get ready for that also. Get all your things ready. So exciting. doing that. And this year, I love, I love Christmas every single year, but I particularly love that we get to go back to the beginning of the year. If you can even remember when that was a million years ago, when we started this year, with the Christmas story in the Gospels and the birth of Jesus of Nazareth and all that he did. And we just fell in love with him in the first half of the year. And then we watched him come alive and be and move through the church during this second half of the year as as we've done. And Christmas and all holidays where we get to celebrate him are, are so just beautiful. And today we get to look in the, we're looking in the book of Peter, which is so cool because it's um, someone who got to live life with them. But as we get close to Christmas, we want to let you know about something that we're doing in our houses this year for Christmas. And it is this, if you cannot see it, it is this advent that, that is at the Good News brand that we, it's called Awaiting Christmas. And this, we want to tell you about it right now so you can go snag one over at thegoodnewsbrandco.com. And it begins December 1st. And what it is, is a Luke 2 Christmas. That's what we're doing for Don't Miss This this year, is a Luke 2 Christmas. We're going back, the original story that starts, and it came to pass in those days, there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And what this does, is it goes through the Luke 2 story, but instead of reading it all on Christmas Eve, it takes it one day at a time. You get to live the Luke 2 story through the whole month of December. So what happens in this, you hang it up on your wall and it's a tear pad. And each day you'll tear off one of these things. I won't do it because we're not ready for Christmas quite yet, everybody. And then there's a verse from the story in there and it's just designed so pretty. And then there's a question that you can either think about all that day or you can talk about it and have just a mini simple devotional. Christmas time is just crazy time, no matter what, no matter how we try for it not to be, it is just as just busy. But the good news is so was the first Christmas. It was busy. Things were unexpected. It was crowded. And yet the people of that time 
we're still able to experience one of the most sacred moments of history in the busiest and most worrisome and troubling time in history. And so this year, particularly particularly for Christmas, I love focusing on this Luke 2 story and remembering it was messy. It was not what people thought it would be. And yet Jesus came into the mess of the world, into the mess of their lives. And there's a lot of heartache in the world right now. There's a lot of worry. There's a lot of, Siri really wants to be a part of this, everyone. (laughs) There are all of these things happening that are troublesome to our hearts. And it was the same for the shepherds, for Mary, for Joseph, for the for the kings, for the people living in Israel. And, and, they ex- and, and they experienced the goodness of Jesus in the midst of all of that. And I, I think it's such a special time to study and remember that great story. Well, and you love it extra because there really is something, I feel like no matter what, when you study the New Testament, you just fall in love with Jesus extra. Mm-hmm. And the story's good, but it's better when you love him. So mm-hmm. I love that you get like a double, you know, right. in this year. Like you start out, with that story and it begins the story for you, but at the end of the year, you get to go back and then you love it three times more. Yeah. Because now you just love him. Right. Let me show you one cool thing about these. When you tear off the page, they are so beautifully designed with the scriptures that you can actually use them as wrapping paper. And they look so pretty. Wait, so if you're just Curry, listening, should you show all of them? Because look how cute they I look know. together. Yeah, you just gonna love it. take them off and people are gonna wrap their presents in in the pages. Should we have just one page just to get excited for Christmas, everyone? It says this. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. I'm getting teary reading this because I just, <laughs> I love this story so much. The Christmas story just is so, no, you just can't I know, wait. it's really meaningful to me. And I, you know, when I was younger, someone taught me when you have times of heartache or temptation or or um, loneliness, whatever it is, they said, try and picture a story of Jesus that captures your heart so fully it can draw you away from those feelings. It can't be mm. any story. It has to be the one that captures your heart. And for me, it's the Christmas story. It was mm. always the image that I went to of Joseph and Mary and Jesus right there in the manger. Which and is I even special so... that I get an every single day reminder of it. Right. Throughout the month of December. And then the question went like this, would go like this. Before the angels, shepherds, or kings ever came, there was just a mother holding her holy child on a silent night. How can you make time for a silent and holy moment? So it's challenges, it's questions, it's things to think about. This is so beautiful. We want you to get ready for Christmas in any way that you can. Start now to think, okay, how are we going to have simple but sweet, significant ways to make sure that we're experiencing Jesus during the Christmas season, this would be a really, really fantastic way. This is what we're doing this year and we're so, so, so excited. And then when we come back for our Christmas lesson, we're gonna, we're gonna talk about together, what was your favorite day of the 25? What was the, what was the one moment? Because you got to do it slowly. Yeah. And, I, and you know what's cool about Christmas? And then we won't say anything more about Christmas until Except Christmas comes. I know, because we're getting so excited. Right, <laughs> um, I wrote this down as I was studying today that I find myself quite often these days saying, come Lord Jesus, come. I'm ready for Jesus to come to this world. And I just feel like at Christmas time, it gets, it, that prayer gets answered. He, his spirit comes in such a sweet, healing, peaceful way at Christmas time that um, I'm looking forward to, looking forward to December for that reason. So 
uh, look forward to that, everybody. Get ready for all those things because they are coming. And you want to be ready so that you can experience them. Now, this book, Peter wrote this letter, first and second Peter, both of them. Uh, you have your tip in that, um, it's that one right there, that you can use. And one thing that this teaches you is that Peter was in, Peter was in Rome when he writes this letter. And tradition is that Peter actually will die there in Rome. So this is Peter, the one you know, the fisherman who Jesus calls, who's there. And we titled today, Eyewitness of His Majesty, because that Peter lived it. Called from the very beginning, three years, side by side with Jesus. I love knowing so well the personality of the person who wrote this letter. During the first half of the New Testament, we became friends with Peter. And if you watch The Chosen, you're for sure a friend with Peter, <laughs> right? And you just see his, his grittiness. You see him growing and learning in the Lord. You see him sacrifice. You see him begin to understand and change and develop under the Lord's mentoring. And, and you just, you can picture Peter here at the end of his life writing this letter. And, and I think it would be really important to remember who he is and what you know about him as you read what he wrote. Well, and I don't, I'm sure you felt like this, but for me, I like got a letter in the mail yesterday from a friend and I read it like eight times because it was like my favorite thing in the whole entire world. A real life handwritten one? Yes. Oh my God. I know. I was awesome. so spoiled yesterday. It was yeah. my best day of my life. And I'm not kidding you. When I read, when I was studying Peter, it almost felt the same way that there's something about knowing his story that when you read his letter, it legit feels like it's coming to life for you, mm -hmm. you know? And then all of a sudden, not as if the rest of the letters weren't good, but something about this one almost speaks to your heart because it really does feel like a letter from a friend to you, you know? Yeah. And Peter, we know, and I, I said this, but maybe I got caught up in telling a story that um, tradition is that he was in Rome when he writes this. Um, St. Peter's Basilica in Rome is built over the traditional spot where Peter it was laid to rest where he died, where he was killed during the persecutions of the emperor Nero. And uh, tradition is too that Peter asked to be crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy of being crucified in the same way as his Lord. And uh, so from that place, and in the second letter, he actually makes mention, I I'm not very far away from dying. So, and this is some of his last words, some of his last encouragement that he wrote to the, to the church. Um, in Asia Minor is what people think in Turkey, but we get it today. And I, I just, I, I don't think we'll get to this part at the very end. So I, I, I just, if it would be cool if we could just mention this and if I can find it where, he, where he does start talking about like, this is sort of the end for me. It's in second Peter. And I think he says, it's something about this being a memorial, um, Ah, oh, man, I think it might be verse 12 in Second Peter 1. Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them and be established in the present truth. Oh, yea, I think it me as long as I'm in this tabernacle to keep putting them in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off this tabernacle, even as the Lord Jesus Christ hath showed me. Um, oh, here it is, 15. <laughs> I knew I'd make it. <laughs> I will endeavor that ye may be at, that ye may be after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. I think it is so fantastic that his last wish on this earth was that these words could be available for people even after he was dead. 
And here we are 2,000 years later, experiencing and reading the coming true of that last wish of Peter, the chief apostle. So, so great that we get to have this book. Um, Okay, let's jump in and into 1 Peter chapter 1. What's kind of cool about this is Peter's writing, I get, this is the, the theme of the second half of the New Testament is that everyone's in some sort of persecution and these letters are being written to, to people who are having a hard time. And that's no different in this one. I think it's really interesting and powerful that First uh, Peter 3 through 12, Bible scholars refer to as a, a song of praise is what this is. It starts off as this, um, before he gets into any of his advice, he starts off with this song of the goodness of God and, and gratitude. These are some of the words that you find that describe what people are living in. Trial, end, heaviness, sufferings. That is where they are. And it seems unfitting that there would be a song of praise in a time like this. But maybe there's something to learn from that. That Peter is begins the lens that he's going to approach the problem in, the angle that he's going to walk into this issue with is one of praise, gratitude, and adoration to the Father and the Son. Well, and it's not even like naive. Like sometimes I think with optimism, we think it's just ignoring all the bad things that are happening. And it's not like a song of praise that he's like, oh, I'm going to forget about all that persecution and I'm just going to tell you about the good things. Because sometimes that's also like a little bit unnerving. Like, it's just like, wait a minute. Like, you're kind of naive to what's going on right, right now. Like, right, Remember don't... that talk from Miller Holland where he was just like, if you find someone who's happy all the time, something might be wrong with them. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like, and you'd there's... kind of be bothered if you got that letter. Like, you'd be like, for real? Yeah. But he actually takes all of the hurt and he's like, wait, I see it. And this is still a song of praise. Right. Right. Which I think is a powerful thing to realize. You know? And listen to this perspective that he gives us. Starting in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Or I simply must quote to you from the message translation from that verse, which is, What a God we have! Mm. <laughs> Exclamation point. Right? That's a way to say, Blessed be the name of God. You see that. It's like, Whew, What a God we worship. What a Lord we have reigning over us. Which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope. That we have reason to hope, a, a hope that's alive and moving and motivating and swirling in us because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Like the death was this sentence. It was a death sentence. It was a, you are wrong. You are condemned. You are, you are, on the, you are not on the right side of the issue. And then God reversed the decision. And he brought in hope. Where there once was death and crucifixion and sorrow, God brought hope from that. And he says we can experience and live in that lively hope because it was born out of a trial. And he says, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled. The NIV translates that as into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. It's an inheritance that is reserved in heaven for you, he says in verse 4. And we are kept or protected by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in these last times, wherein you so greatly rejoice. This is verse six. Though now for a season, 
If need be, you are in heaviness through a lot of trials. But then he gives this perspective. Isn't that great? The, there's the, the See, it begins with this. Let's begin this lively hope, but then this perspective. The trial of your faith being more precious than of gold that perisheth. And that's interesting because he says, this is a, this trial, one day you might look back on it and say, what a treasure that was. I, I, wouldn't, I would never have given that away. I remember after a particularly tough, seat, tough little experience that I had, I talked with my grandma and she said to me, if you knew what you knew, like if you knew that was going to happen to you, would you still go? This is when I, um, this, I don't even want to open up the, <laughs> you know, some have heard this story before that my appendix <laughs> burst over on a trip in Israel. <laughs> I was in the Middle East and my appendix burst. So um, awesome. And had to be in the hospital and near death. It was all the, all the bad things. So I, I didn't want to open that up, but I say it so that you know the, the context of what she said, which is, if you knew that was going to happen, would you have still gone on the trip? And I sat there and I thought about it. And I thought about the lessons that I learned at two in the morning in the hospital room. Lessons that have shaped the way I see the world and the way that I see God still to this day. And I said back to her, I was like, yes, actually, I, I would go again for sure. And then she like slapped me. <laughs> she was like, and put your grandmother through such heartache. <laughs> <laughs> like, never mind. Like, I'm like, sorry. I didn't mean to put you through heartache, you know, but we love when her. she asked me that question, I, I, re I had a different perspective where I looked at it and I was like that experience in the midst of it, I hated it. But looking back, I would say amen with Peter that that trial of my faith became more precious than gold. And I lived, verse 8, which is talking about Jesus, whom having not seen you love, in whom though now you see him not yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of, of glory, receiving the end of your faith. Verse 9, the very purpose that God can bring about from these things the salvation of your souls. And then in verse 13, that great bit of advice, wherefore gird up your loins and your mind and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you, the strength, the enabling power that will be brought to you in that moment. Believing, seeing it in that hope, understanding that the death of Jesus brought resurrection, so this too trial of your faith can bring about salvation also, that you'll look back on it one day and say, I, that's, I put that in my treasure box. That's one of my treasured experiences of my life. Even verse 13, it says that angels desire to look upon such things. So I, I, that's just such a, we see that throughout the New Testament, but I think it's just powerful to keep bringing it up again, especially depending on what season you might be in as you hear this. Well, and I just love that there's something so powerful in the idea that all of a sudden he wants to say, you, like, actually, it's interesting to me that he doesn't say the gold at the beginning, but it's actually 
though it be tried with fire. That it's like, wait, actually, that's how you tell if gold is actually real. If it's like solid gold, is that it actually needs to be tried. Mm-hmm. You have to make sure that it's actually it needs to go through fire to figure it out. And I think it's so interesting because I think we can start out and we can have this faith or this belief that we're like, yeah, like I believe this. I'm living it. Like I can't wait to tell people about it. I feel like I know it. And it's interesting that he's like, but wait, actually, there's something powerful in the fire, mm. you know? Mm. And it, so I, like, months before, I had this trip planned that I was going to go on and I was going to be a leader. It was through HXP with all these kids in Costa Rica. And, like, nine months before, I was trying to figure out how to get ready for it because like, you can, like, pack your bags and stuff. But it's like, that's going to get you ready for some things on the trip, but not for everything when you, like, you have to be in charge of kids for, like, two and a half weeks. And I remember one of my friends telling me, I actually started praying that I'll experience things this year that will help me be ready to help the kids when I get there. Mm. And I started praying that prayer and I would pray every single night. And what happened is I pretty much had the worst year of my life after I started praying that prayer. (laughs) And I was just so angry the whole entire time until I got to Costa Rica. And there would just be moments on that trip that I would just hear God whisper and just say, aren't you glad you had the year that you had? because you wouldn't have been able to have this conversation without it. And it just made me stop. And I just was like, you know what, actually, like I thought I could talk about Jesus in a way that like meant something, but it means so much more now after I went through that. Mm. Like I actually had to experience the fire to realize that there was something different about my faith now, mm. you know? Yeah. And it's just, there's something about that. That's like, yeah, actually in the middle, it just does kind of feel like fire. But what if in the end, there's something different? Yeah. And I think that would be cool maybe to look at a list like this and see some of the words in there that you would say, these for sure describe a time of trial. But then what are the the new words that you also would put in? What else can come of one? And you just made me think of a verse a little bit later, verse 22, where Peter says, seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit, right? During that time of trial, you opened yourself up to the Holy Spirit to say, what is this for? Make me to become something, right? Seeing that that's happened and you've been through the purifying fire unto unfeigned love of the brethren. So see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. It becomes a heart prepared to love fervently. When Do you remember when the story President Hinckley tells of his mother passing away when he was young, 11, 10, you're just young, maybe a little bit, anyway, somewhere near those ages. And he said later in his life, I was able to have compassion and empathy toward people who experienced great and heavy loss the rest of my life because of what I learned during those experiences. I'm not suggesting that God did that to him to teach him a lesson. That's part of mortality, but God can turn those experiences, as we know, testified over and over in here. He can turn those experiences to good for us. So, um, you should know. Let's go to this next one. He just dropped it one time, but you're gonna <laughs> figure out that this is one of Peter's most favorite words. Which for real becomes one of your book. favorite parts because I'm like, when you hear Peter's life story, you don't like get to hear like phrases he uses all the time. But then when you read his letters, it's so cute because it's like you get to know a part of his personality that you didn't, you know? know. Which is cool. People who 
are have been with us. You know, you make fun of us. It's fine. <laughs> we know for the words that we use again and again and again, right? We we made fun of Emily too. It's fine, Everybody. but um, this is precious. <laughs> if you're listening on the podcast, this word "precious" is one that Paul. I mean, Peter repeats. If over Peter it. had a podcast, people would people would say people precious would DM to him. him yes. and they would say you always <laughs> use that word "precious." <laughs> Which is just so cute that it makes Peter so real that he had favorite words that he loved to use, you know? And what's going to happen is starting in chapter two, he's going to say the word precious a hundred million times, but also um, he introduces this idea and he talks about Jesus and he talks about him in a way that's not unfamiliar to us. We hear like this metaphor a lot, actually. And I think we talk about it all the time in church too. And he introduces it in like verse six. Um, about Jesus being the cornerstone, but he introduces it in a way with his favorite word that changes the way I see it nearly completely. And if you know anything about cornerstones, it like kind of adds up, right? The cornerstone, it's the side, but it's also one of the most fundamentally important stones in a building. Like it really, you just absolutely need that. Everything relies on it. Everything uses that. Like it's like the foundation really. And in that verse four, I don't know if you were going to start no, there, here but go, here go well, I was going to say, I, I, as you were just talking, it made me think, talking about Jesus as this living stone, which I actually really, really like because you're like a rock. You're sort of like, mm. just feels like a blah, you know? Yeah. And I like that he's just like, in some instances, you want something like really secure, like a rock, but also he elevates that metaphor and says, but a living stone. But he says this, but chosen of God and precious. Because when a building was being built, uh, earlier today, I was thinking, I, I don't have any emotional affinity toward cornerstones. I was literally you thinking know? that same thing. Just like, I was like, they always want to talk about this. And I'm kind of like, great. I'm yeah, like, it's a like building. a little boring to yeah. me that I'm like, ah, there's some architects out there who are just yeah. <laughs> on fire with like that. You know, we all get to pick that name of Jesus, right? Yeah. That's why we had 52 this year on our posters. This right? one Different never names. really was top but, of my yeah, list. Me neither. Cornerstone, you're sort of like, but I just, I was like, I wanted to read a lot about it today. Just to be like, what, what is it? What? And, and two of the things that won me over was a cornerstone was used and everyone had to be very particular about where it was placed because every other stone would be in the right place if it was lined up with the cornerstone. So it was another synonym for precious is important, like really uh, reliant too, like you're relying on this. It's the basis for what you're going to do. It held all of the weight of it. And you're just like, oh, that's so interesting because all of us pick something that we base our decisions off of. There's some um, idea, some person, some example, some theory, some belief that every person will base their life. They will line their lives and their decisions up with something. Everybody does it. It's not a religious thing. It's a life thing to do. And it started to make me think, I want to be really particular about what I line my life up with. What I'm going to, you know, base my decisions off. What, you know, what am I going to put my full weight into? Can it hold me? And that's when Cornerstone started to become, I started to connect to it. When I started to use a phrase like, can it, can it bear can it hold me? Can it support me? Everything that I'm going to bring, is it going to collapse? Or is it going to be able to, to do that? And then the other one was, 
we were talking about at the beginning that there was always a celebration ceremony with a cornerstone because they were celebrating something new has begun. So there's, this is a, a beginning to something that's about to be built here, something that's a, that you're going to be excited to, you know, to have. And I th- then I started to like, oh. You're like, wait a minute. I like, I, now I love cornerstone. Yeah. It's not my favorite. But, but you'll, uh, yeah, but you'll but think about it. It's moving up the list. It. It's moving up the list. Well, and there's something so precious. Oh, <laughs> there's something that I love so much hey, about in chapter two, in that verse number four, that, that, that phrase chosen of God, that when I think about the plan and I think about big picture, I love that God said, I'm going to start something new mm. and you should celebrate it. But I need you to know that I actually didn't just choose the fastest cornerstone I could find. And I didn't just choose like, oh, okay, this is the most convenient. And actually cornerstones to me, when I imagine them, that seems like nearly impossible to move. I'm just not a very strong person. And so then that feels like a lot of work. And I love that that didn't bother him. That maybe this plan was actually going to be a little bit more work than another plan. And it didn't make him worried that actually there was going to be some sacrifice involved in the cornerstone. He actually willingly chose that he said "Ah, no no no. listen you need to know that i personally like god personally chose the cornerstone and he didn't do it naively and he didn't do it without thinking he actually said i'm going to choose a cornerstone personally that is precious it's not going to be one that is easy to find when you think like when i think about that word precious we actually wrote some of the words that like match precious and valuable unique, something not common, something hard to find, something important. And it makes me think there is something in this plan that God is building. And I love that it represents the beginning. He says, actually, you better celebrate this one. That my plan from the beginning is something that I chose. That, yeah, actually, it's going to be valuable. It's going to cost something. Also, it's going to be unique. That's true. It's not going to be what you expect. It's going to be a little bit hard to find. It's going to be important. You need to realize all of these things. It's actually a person and he is precious. And he is all of these things too. And that is 100% true. But God chose that. Which to me is so endearing about God. Because I love that when he said, Hey, I'm going to build something and it's not going to be cheap. You can trust that. You know? Mm -hmm. That he's like, wait, actually... This is something we're celebrating because what you're starting, this beginning, the foundation in him actually is we're celebrating because it's something precious. Yeah. And I want to, it would just be great to have a discussion in a class or just on your own as you're thinking to answer that question. In what ways is, is Jesus precious? In which ways is he valuable? In which ways is he not common and unique? In which ways is he, would, would someone like him be hard to find? In which ways why would God have chosen to rest everything on him? What is it about him that makes him uniquely reliable? And that would be like a, a really, and yeah, yeah. Because also when you break that down, you don't only become more endeared to Jesus, but you actually become more endeared to God. Mm-hmm. Because then all of a sudden you're like, oh, thank you for choosing someone like that. That is special to me. That is yeah. precious, mm-hmm. you know? And he's going to go through, and in the next few verses, he keeps kind of describing. He's going to say, you're built up in a spiritual house to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. And then verse 5 is when he brings in that, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief 
cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. And there's something about you automatically, at least for me, I want to start believing in him more once I realize what precious means. That I'm like, oh yeah, I actually don't want to live my life. I don't want to trust something that isn't precious. I don't want to build my life on something that isn't precious to me. And I actually take a lot more care of things that are precious. Right. When I know that something is valuable to me, when something is precious to me, I actually treat it differently. I'm going to be a little bit more careful with it. I actually am going to be like, okay, wait, I actually want to make sure that I'm living my life in a way that is protecting what I have with this precious thing. And to think that God the Father gave what was most precious to him. Because I want to take care of something that someone else deems as precious. And you can tell that they do. And if they hand it over to you, there's usually a greater sense of, even if I don't quite understand, like, do you remember last night when your mom had that Christmas tree skirt? Yes. And then she was just like, this is actually the only thing I care about. So everything else don't ruin. And it's just this weird thing. It looks like a clown hat. And I was like, she was gone. So we couldn't ask her. And Susan said, oh, there's got to be a story behind it. There's got to be a reason. This is precious. But we, I wanted to take extra. And I wanted to know the story too. I want to know yeah. the story. I want to know why it's so important to you. And I'm going to take extra good care of it because it's so important to you. And for God to say, this is my chosen son, precious in my sight that I am sacrificing to sin, that I will build all of this on, my, on him as a gift. It, it, I'm curious, in the very least, why he's so precious to the Father. I'm endeared, like you said, because you gave, and as I learn more of the story, it, it, it makes me feel even more endeared to the Father also, that you would, that you would do what you did, that they would both do what they did. Yeah. And then... There's something so powerful in the fact that in my head, for real, when I think about a cornerstone, I just think about the most like convenient rock to get. And I love that God is not focused on convenience. Mm -hmm. He's focused on the best. He's focused on something precious. Yeah. And that promise at the end of six is... Yes. Oh, is, no, go, go, go. Go, no, 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 no. I just loved it. So say it. That you won't be confounded, which is not nearly as good a word as if you click it in the footnote. And you won't be disappointed. If you build, believe on him and build your life according to him, you will not be disappointed. You won't be let down. And I think that's such a powerful promise. Well, and as it gets even better to me in that first sentence in verse seven, unto you, therefore, which believe he is precious. Mm. Because there's something about the fact that actually you can, there can be a cornerstone in the house that you don't even realize is there. And it's fine. And it means absolutely nothing to you. But the second that it becomes something precious is when it changes. And that's why I think it would be so cool to build that word out and say, okay, like actually, why is he? Because once Jesus starts becoming precious to you is when everything changes. Not only just the word cornerstone, but actually your entire life. Because you're going to treat that relationship differently. Mm -hmm. You're actually going to live different. You're actually going to start realizing, oh, actually, he is valuable to me. He is something that I will treasure up. And he keeps going, and all of a sudden, if you go, if you go down to verse nine, there's something transformative about Jesus being the cornerstone, which is important to realize because he can be precious 
and we can center on him, but that is not the end of the story. That is something to celebrate in the beginning, but what ends is actually something transformative. And in verse nine, you start reading it. It says, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. And there's something, and this part is so cute, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That, first of all, don't even get me started on that. That is the cutest little line of all time. But. Well, because I, when I read this and he talks about you get to become part of the stones in this building, my mind goes to a temple. I think that there's, this is temple language. That's from yeah. Exodus 19, right before they get instructions to build the temple. Like I, I want to cr- turn it just you into goes, this, yeah, just right? Like, my mind goes to that. And when I see a temple, it, it causes awe in me. The temple shows forth the praises of of him who's called light out of darkness. Like I glo- like I'm wowed by that, and it seems to be this promise of you get to become a part of this, and who you become will wow people, will turn people toward like the goodness of God. They will see you and think God is amazing. And that's like thrilling to think that you could be a part of, of something like that, that he could turn someone like me into a, a poster child for his grace, into a banner for his goodness. But I think that's like on the flip side of that. I feel like there's all, for me, at least personally, when I think about that, I'm like, I don't know. Like that seems like even like right when you said temple, I was like, it's so funny that in my head, like I automatically was like, I don't feel pure enough for that. I don't feel pure enough to be a part of that. Like, it's just like, I am a messy, messy person. That seems overwhelming. And I love that he ends right there. And he says, no, actually, he's going to, he can transform you into someone like that. But some part of me still is like, oh, I'm not certain. I'm not sold that that is true for me because I'm messy. And that is like, I cannot be the cornerstone. I know that hundred percent. And I don't even know if I could be the top stone, like the easy one that doesn't have to have any weight on it. Like I'm like, I'm a mess, but there, he uses that word precious a little bit before in chapter one. And it changes this whole story for me, because if you go into verse, okay, it's chapter one, verse 18, start there for as much as you know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your father there are things that actually are just going to wear away. It's just true. They just don't matter as much that are corruptible. But verse 19, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. That is actually why he gets to be the cornerstone. And that is why I can be transformed. To me, that is why Jesus is precious because his blood is more valuable than anything on earth to me. Because that actually can transform me. He can turn me into something more. Mm. Because he is precious because of what he sacrificed. That, someone that good, is hard to find. Someone whose blood is without blemish and without spot can actually only be found in him. That is going to make him precious. God knew that. Actually, that's why he chose Jesus. And that's why I get to be chosen is because of Jesus. And right before that in verse um, 15, it ends so cute. But as he which call it, which hath called you his, whoa, 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 let me just start over. But as he which hath called you his holy, is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy, 
for I am holy. I actually can be a part of this story. The one that God started when he chose Jesus as precious. I actually can be, like, I can be a part of that. I don't have to be scared and I don't have to live in shame. I actually can realize that his blood is precious enough for me. I get to be included in that story. And I can't help but think that no wonder they celebrated Cornerstones because that is something that I want to celebrate. The beginning of a transformation for me. Yes. You know? Right. And it really is a, um, that word holy, by the way, is the opposite of it is common. So in scripture, holy means uncommon. It means unique. It means hard, hard to find, valuable. And that's the promise that I am precious in his sight. I know it because of, because of the cost to redeem me. And to remember that is, is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And um, we talked about this being a time of when they were experiencing a lot of heartache and trial. The particular kind of trial for them at this time was persecution for being people of faith. They were being denied their jobs. They were being um, taxed heavier. They were spat upon, put in prison, beat, um, martyred, all because of they decided to be people of faith and people of of belief. And it was a terrible time to be a person of the way, a, a Christian. Peter is about to be crucified upside down for his belief in Jesus of, of Nazareth. You can imagine Nero, the time of Nero was intense persecutions. And in the midst of all of this, Peter gives this line and bit of advice in 1 Peter 3 verses 10, which might become one of your favorite phrases from either books of Peter. Seriously, even just looking at it on the screen, I just, I like had a little smile. Like I was like, oh, I can't wait. And it's only half of it. And his phrase in verse 10 is to love life and see good days. And you think once again, that's a kind of uh, advice that doesn't belong if you understand the context of history and what's happening. But he says, this is a time to love life and see good days. And, and, and you're left a little bit puzzled, right? How can, maybe you're naive to what's happening, but we know he's not because he's in prison, yeah. <laughs> persecuted and days away from a, from a crucifixion. But he says, love life and, and see good days. And that phrase, good days, you would say, these are not good days. <laughs> but Peter's lived a day that was one of the darkest in the world that we traditionally as Christians today call good. That's Good Friday. He was there. In Gethsemane, he was there for the crucifixion. He was like, he saw the terrible things that happened. And and that's a day that we actually call good still among Christian believers. And if you go back a chapter into chapter two, we, we, Peter recounts, remembers how Jesus handled what was happening there. And back in chapter two, And he gives this, and he says in verse 15, so is the will of God, that with well-doing, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. I can't help but think that Peter's imagining Jesus on the cross. And with well-doing, with words of forgiveness, with words of mercy, with words of love, he silenced all of the critics who were there. 
with your freedom, use that freedom to become servants. Honor all men, love brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Verse 18 is interesting. Servants, be subject to your bosses, not only to the good and gentle, but also (laughs) to those who are froward, or it says in the Greek, crooked. He says, be good to people, even if they're crooked to you. He says down in verse 21, for hereunto were you called. This is the way you were called to live because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us this example that we should follow in his steps. 21, he who did no sin, neither was there guile found in his mouth. He didn't deserve any of this. And yet when he was reviled, reviled not again. This is verse 23. When he suffered, he threatened not, but he committed himself to him that judges righteously, who in his own self bear our sins, whose, by whose stripes ye were healed. And it's interesting, it's an opposite approach of how you should respond and should react. Even that last imagery that with his whippings we are healed. And you're like, no, 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 no. That, act, that shouldn't be what happens. That with his stripes we are healed. Those are two opposite images. And I'm called to live in a way that goes opposite to how it's counterculture, it's counterintuitive, that I should revenge, I should revile. And, he's, and, and he says, no, you were called to live in the way that Jesus did. That's what made those days become good. Because how he responded in love changed the world. And I, when, when he calls us to live in this way, he says, something happens. Something changes. It's interesting that we looked that day and feel love. One act of great love changed the reputation of the city. It changed, the, it changed everything. One act of, of great love has the power to do that. I was learned this story today of a man you may recognize some of you is named Eric Liddell. If you've ever seen the movie Chariots of Fire, he is who that movie is about. And he was lived in the 1920s. He won the gold medal in the I think it was the Paris Olympics in 1924. This hero after the Olympics, he and he he went over to China to be a missionary there. And he's there in China when Japan invades. China and takes over that section of China that he is in and he's put into an internment camp. Like he's put into this terrible conditions, 2000 people living inside the area of one city block. There were 20 bathrooms that weren't functioning bathrooms the way that you would expect in this small space. And, and it just was the, the rats and the smell and the food and the terrible, terrible, awful conditions that were there in inside that place. Can I read to you what somebody who was in that camp also described about that place. Um, They described this as a place where there was happiness, there was learning, there was singing, there was praying. And all of these things were happening because of this man, Eric Liddell. Um, One person who was in there, whose name was Mary Taylor Previ, she said, she was there as a child, described Eric as Jesus in running shoes, who not only would create races and, and different things for all the kids, but, um, but also would teach them how to pray and would teach them to sing songs. 
And it's just so cute because don't you just love that Jesus in running shoes that he's just going to come running to you? I'm like, bye. Okay, keep going. We love him. Um, one other person who was in there. Uh, oh, I think it fell off of my little journal. I wrote it down on this. Oh, there it is on the floor. Said this about Eric. He was always overflowing with humor, had a love of life, and a sacrificial kindness for others, and was filled with peace. One person said, um, what was his secret? He unreservedly committed his life to Jesus Christ as his Savior and Lord. That friendship meant everything to him. By the flickering light of a peanut oil lamp early each morning, he and a roommate in the men's cramped dormitory studied the Bible and talked with God for an hour every day. He actually had a... was. Um, had a brain tumor and passed away while he was still inside that camp. And all of these are reports of other people who were impacted and changed by this one man inside the camp, including a gentleman in there who was an atheist who turned into a theologian after and said this, this quote here on the board, in Liddell, we have a picture of what a human being could be if he was both humbled and yet profoundly affirmed and filled with the knowledge of God's unconditional love through undeserved grace. Humbled and profoundly affirmed at the same time. Humbled in the way Grace was talking about earlier. I don't deserve that precious blood to be spilt on my behalf, not with who I am. It humbles you to know that to redeem me costs the most precious blood in the universe. That's humbling to think. I didn't know I was so expensive, but it's also exalting and you're profoundly affirmed when you're filled with the knowledge of God's unconditional love through that undeserved grace. It does both of them for you. That's why we call that Friday good. And that's the way we're able to love life and see good days amidst what's happening because we're humbled and profoundly affirmed by God's unconditional love and undeserved grace in us. And, and this, we saw it in him. We see it in, in Peter. It's like, how, how do you have such a living hope in you? And, and Peter actually takes us to this in that chapter three, where he says, starting there in verse 10, love life and see good days. And so he says, so with that hope alive in you, with that redemption of that being a recipient of undeserved love and an undeserved grace, he tells us, oh, if, people, if people harm you, do good to them back. For the eyes of the Lord are over everything that's happening. But verse 15, sanctify the Lord, your, the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason for the hope that is in you. And that's so sweet to think about, be ready always for an answer for why are you so buoyant in such a terrible time? How are you so forgiving when you ought not to be? How is it that you can see light in a place of, of darkness? And Peter says, be ready always to be able to give an answer for that hope that is, that is in you. It makes me want to you know, if I'm teaching a class, bring in somebody that I know who's endured well 
who loves life and sees good days. And it's because of their faith um, in Jesus and, and bring them in to, to tell that story. And maybe a, 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 another class, what's your reason for the hope that is in you? What a fantastic question that you could ask. Well, and there's something so powerful in the thought that it actually you learn this through story. You learn it through the story of the cross. Mm. That is true. Like it is instant, that connection of a good day and good Friday. Like you, you feel that. You like the word already connects it. But then all of a sudden you start realizing, oh yeah, actually that was something that Peter not only witnessed, but like he like actually lived, through, like he really did live through that. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden there's something so powerful to me that actually... Sometimes we finish the story with Easter morning when in reality, like this story was still going on in the middle of China in a prison camp, right? That story of Good Friday actually was still being carried on in the middle of China and it's going to get carried on in the middle of your school. And actually your next door neighbor is still living on the story of Good Friday because the story ended on a note that said, oh, actually the worst days can be turned into the biggest miracles. Mm-hmm. And you can live that story because he did it first. Mm. That still gets to be our story, no matter where we are. Yeah. Jesus brought, if you look at his phrases on the cross, there was forgiveness from the cross. There was love, concern, and care from the cross. There was hope from the cross. There was promise redemption from the cross. Like those were the words, if you take his seven phrases from the cross, that those were his words that like he demonstrated a lively hope, a love, a conviction. That doesn't seem like what you would talk about on a terrible day. Right. Right. Those aren't the words that come to your mind. And and it, and it captured people. It changed them. If you go back to verse one in chapter three, he's talking to wives who are married to unfaithful, not unfaithful and like, you know, cheating, (laughs) but, um, non-believing husbands yeah and he gives this little a bit of advice in there it's difficult in the king james to understand what it's saying where he just says but he says they also end of verse one may without the word be won by the conversation of their wives or that word conversation is a greek for conduct they may be one or the message says it like this they will be captivated by your life of holy beauty without words I'm captivated by the holy beauty of Jesus on the cross. It changes me. It changes my behavior. And Peter's teaching us, follow in those footsteps. Live out hope in a dark situation. Practice love in in an atmosphere of hate. Forgive when no forgiveness is deserved. And people will be captivated by the hope, love, and conviction of Jesus in you. It'll change it changes people, it changes the story. And that from the beginning, what could be considered the worst day in history actually got changed to be considered good for what happened three days later. I just, that is so thrilling to me to think, what could he do with my bad days? Mm -hmm. If that's what he did with that, like my bad days, what could he turn them into? Yeah. And then, oh, we just love that. Jesus gives us reason to love life and, and see good days. Yeah. See them as good. You can because of what he promises. And he can turn them to that, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is powerful. Um, I think you like there's something so important to me about thinking about Peter's story when I read these letters 
And I am always just so endeared to Peter, mostly because I love that the beginning of his story was actually just that of like the most average guy you could ever possibly imagine. Like he didn't even have an exciting job. No, everyone that fishes right now is going to be so mad that I just said that. <laughs> but that is the most boring job in the whole entire world to me. Like I can't even fish for two hours. I'm like, you have got to be kidding. That's his every single day. I'm like, that is, he really just lived the most average life ever. Like that is just... Sorry, everyone that fishes, nope. it's okay. All you can fishermen, like it. All fishermen hate you right now. <laughs> it's fine. I'll take the heat. I will own it because it really is true. That, that To me, that is just like the most average job. He lived the most average life. And then he met Jesus. And that is mm. actually what changed everything. Was just meeting him. And now his life is like one of the most unaverage lives I could ever possibly imagine. So much so that the story of his life has been told over and over and over for thousands of years. Like that is not, you wouldn't tell, like an average guy, you wouldn't keep telling his story because you'd get bored of it in the first 10 minutes. And there's something about me that is so attached to that because I live an average life. Like I just really am like, okay, like that is just who I am as a person. Like that is where I fit in. Yeah. It's just like an average everyday life. And what happens is Peter in his second letter starts all of a sudden cluing you in to what can transform an average person into a story that is almost like you can't even believe it. It's so full of miracles and like abundantly good. And if you go to Second Peter uh, chapter 1 and in verse 4, you start at the beginning. Then he says, Wherebore, whereby... But wait, hold on, hold on, because verse 1, you forgot. There's oh. precious again. See, you love him. Yeah, especially the way he uses it. He says, hi. Simon Peter here, <laughs> verse Hi. one, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. And I'm speaking to them that have obtained like precious faith, the kind of precious faith I have, and equally precious as the footnote says, with us through the righteousness or relationship with God and our Savior Jesus Christ. To so those of you who have obtained that equally precious faith because of your own experiences with the Father and the Son. I like, what an intro. <laughs> yeah, no, seriously. And you just love that he loves that word so much. You yeah. can't help it. Um, And he goes in and starting in verse four, that is like the beginning to me that in my head, I think I'm so attached to because I love what God and Jesus can do with an average soul. Mm. That is so important to me because that is where I fit in in my life. And what happens is in verse four, he starts, he like gets you into it and he says, listen, you actually can be partakers of the divine nature. You actually can begin to live a divine purpose. That's what happens when you meet Jesus. You get called into a divine way of living. Yeah. Your purpose becomes something more. And then sometimes when we hear that, it's like, okay, I love the sound of that. I want to live that. I want to live a like divine nature, a divine purpose with my life. And then it, we almost sometimes when we teach that, we just stop there and we don't get like an instruction manual almost that you're like, okay, well now what, how? And the most beautiful thing to me is that Peter actually is like, oh, like, let me walk you through it. And it's so tender to me because I can't help but think about Peter thinking about the average days of the life of a fisherman and meeting Jesus and what changed and him walking you through the life he lived. That it's like, wait, actually, I lived this. This is how it happened for me. And he starts and he says, listen, in verse five, and beside this, he says, giving all diligence, 
which you just, you know, like he really, like give it your all. He actually gave up everything. That was diligence. That was the beginning for him, leaving all his nets behind, getting rid of the fishing life. Add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge temperance and to temperance patience and to patience godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness charity. And I love that he says, listen, let me show you what happened in my life. What changed me from being the average fisherman into a disciple of Jesus. This is what it looked like. This was my divine life. This is how I got there. This was my purpose. And it calls me so deeply to say, oh wait, actually, I want to live the life of a disciple. I want to figure out a divine purpose, something bigger than me. And Peter's going to say, oh, actually, start here. Start, like, this is how it worked for me. And then all of a sudden, it's like, okay, yeah, actually, let me figure out this diligence thing. Let me understand virtue a little bit deeper. And maybe that will lead somewhere else. And once I get to knowledge, what do I need to learn in my life of a disciple? Actually, how can I figure out this whole patience thing? And where is patience going to lead me next? And it actually gets to be this cycle. And it's so cute because in verse 8, he says this. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall be neither, that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Actually, if you want to get to know him, you can't live life with him the way that I got to, but you still want to know him like I did. Live this type of life. Learn how to live with these things. And there's something so cute to me that is just like, oh, actually, they can be in you. They can abound in you. And I think sometimes that's a little bit difficult to see in ourselves. We see that, okay, I need to figure out this progress. But I love that he's like, no, actually, they can be in you. And for me, sometimes it's a little bit easier to figure out how to live these now if I look at someone who's living them well. And that's actually what the worksheet is this week, which is so cute, is just who is someone you know who is filled with all of these things? Go through diligence, faith. Virtue. Or one, you know, tell, you might yeah. have a different person. No, no, no. yeah, that's what I meant. That's what I meant. You <laughs> Otherwise, just fill people in are going to be like, Jesus, yeah. Jesus, Jesus. <laughs> Only you know. one. Yeah. No, no, no. Fine. Like, who is your person that, like, when you think of diligence, you're like, oh, they are so good at that. Like, right when I hear the word patience, who am I going to write down that I just know, oh, they are the most patient person to me. And I think it's so tender to me when I look at this that part of me wants to go through first and think about Peter. Where do I see this in Peter's life? Because he had to have experienced it to have written this down. He had to have lived that experience from becoming someone average to a disciple. But also, what can I learn from people who are living it right now? Yeah. How can I see that in someone else? And I like, and maybe a different idea would be to look at the stories of Jesus. And where did I see him live this out? Because that's what Peter watched. Peter watched that. And the you, we may have talked about this before, but the word for disciple is probably from the Greek better translated as apprentice. And here is Peter, who's redeemed by Jesus, called, set aside by Jesus to do a holy purpose. An ordinary man who can do a divine work on the earth. And then Jesus teaches him how to live in the life and love that he does. Apprentice under me. Let me teach you how to live in this way. You, to do the work I'm calling you to do requires that you are, these are not requirements for like 
to be saved. Jesus will do that on the cross. But to participate in the holy work I have for you, in, in the work of souls, develop temperance and godliness and brotherly kindness. Work on these. Apprentice. Let me show you how I do it. And you begin to live it. And I love the idea of seeing it in someone else. I see it in Jesus and scripture. But Peter got to be there. You know? He on was ground, looking at someone on, he right. knew. Yeah. yeah. And it's awesome to learn it in scripture. And we want to. Because Jesus is the master that we learn it from. And everybody that we know has learned it from him. If we take the domino line back. And that's him in others. Right, too. right. It's Jesus you know, in running shoes you're seeing, is what yeah, it is. You're seeing right? him, actually. I'm seeing him in other people. Yeah. And neat to see in my world, in my conditions, in the scenarios I'm familiar with. What could this look like? Yes. How can I actually figure this out right now? You might, you might want to take some, if you're teaching younger people, you might want to take some synonyms to some words. For example, virtue uh, could, is translated as goodness in some ways. That might be helpful. Or temperance is self-control. Patience is endurance. Like there's other words that you could use. I heard this definition today for charity, which is now my no, new definition for it, which is it's a devotion to the well-being of others, no matter their response or the cost. A devotion to the well-being of others, despite their response or the cost. Who do I know? That's powerful. That right? lives in, in that way. And, and this might be something that you could also, I think it's fantastic to begin and see it in others. This could be something you would take then and, and, and take a, 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 like a look at your own. How am I doing in my apprenticeship of Jesus, in my own growth of discipleship? Just a, no shame with it, just an observation of where I am and where I might practice a little bit of diligence to you know, to live and share in this kind of life with Jesus. Well, and I love that it's coming from someone like Peter because it's not like Peter's life was easy. Like we like are looking at it and I'm like, yeah, like I would love to be a disciple. I would love to live that apprenticeship life. But it should be noted that it is not going to be easy, which is why I love that this comes after when he says love life and see good days. Because you wouldn't say that unless you loved it. You wouldn't say that unless you live a life you loved, which is tender that Peter did. But it's even cuter that he wanted you to remember that you're going to have to see the good days because it's so cute how he finishes right here in verse 9. And he says, But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. And I can't help but just want to connect that so closely to loving life and seeing good days. That maybe if you listen to that and you heard that scripture and you're like, that's not me right now. I actually don't, I can't say that I'm loving life right now. And I can't say that I'm seeing good days. And it actually seems like Friday doesn't seem like a good Friday to me. It just seems like a dark one, right? And I love that he says, actually, if you need someone to heal your eyes, first of all, there's someone that's really good at that. He's done it before. And if you want to let him into your life, maybe start living one of these things a little bit deeper. Maybe start in this path to discipleship because it actually will open up your eyes. You actually can live a life you love. You can see good days. Not saying that every day is going to be full, like a textbook good day, but actually living like this can open your life up to seeing good in your days. Mm, awesome. And his call in 10, verse 10 is, give diligence 
to make your calling and election sure. He called you to this. He chose you to this. Now make it come to pass. And it's so cute that make he starts sure. with diligence because that's what you wanted to start with in Right, and, dili- and diligence is, um, is a try again word. Yeah. And we see that in the life of Peter. And Jesus had to teach him that. When he denies Peter, I mean, he denies Jesus three times. And then on the beach, Peter, Jesus says, okay, yeah, everybody makes mistakes. Let's go. Yeah. It's part of this. Part of diligence is a kind of person who says, it's awesome that it's first. They keep yeah. trying. Here we That's go again. what that word means, that yeah. I keep trying. Um, we'll end with this thought from Peter, where some of his last words that he gets almost addressing what seems to have been a criticism to him. In 16, where he said, we have not followed cunningly devised fables. It's almost as if someone accused him. The story of this carpenter who died on a cross and rose from the grave is silly. There's no chance that that's true. And he says, listen, we have not followed a fairy tale. When we made known unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, I want you to know We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. I sat there. I walked into the empty tomb. I watched him put his hands on the eyes of a blind man. I saw him take the little girl by the hand and raise her up out from the dead. I was there. I was an eyewitness to every single one of those. He says, I stood on the mountain. And I heard the voice of God the Father speak in honor and glory. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And that voice which came from heaven, we heard when we were standing there. Verse 19, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. He says, I believe the scriptures. I believe the prophets of old in verses 20 and 21. They weren't interpretations of men. They were inspired by God. I grew up on them. My mom read them to me at bedtime. My dad taught them to me Sunday nights. (laughs) But I have a more sure word of prophecy. I believe the prophets, Isaiah, Zechariah, Malachi. I believe them when what they said about Jesus. But I have a more sure word because I'm an eyewitness. I heard it with my own ears. I experienced it in my own heart. I was there. And the basis of Christianity, of our faith, is is it's based in those who were eyewitnesses. We know the tomb is empty because of people like Peter. Because he said, I was there. I saw it. I saw him put in. I helped carry his body into the tomb. And then I walked in and I felt the prince in his hands and in his feet. I have a more sure word of prophecy. And that's the, that's the testimony that he wants to, to leave us with. Add, add a footnote to that. And a little side scripture, a cross-reference back in chapter 2, verse 3. And 1 Peter 2, 3, where he says, I've tasted that the Lord is gracious. For my, that's an experiential word that he uses. And, and verse 19 is, is this. Whereunto you do well that you take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, 
until the day dawns. For those of you who are not yet eyewitnesses, who are not, who have not yet experienced on the level I've I had, take my words and the words of other prophets as a light that shines in a dark place, a candle until, and you be warmed by that one until the day dawns and the day star himself arises in your hearts and you become an eyewitness and a firsthand account of those things. And this is our, our, our name of Jesus for the week, the day star himself. I will, I will live off of and believe the prophecies and the accounts of those who were first-hand witnesses until the day star himself arises in, in my own heart and I experience that in full glory, the light-bearing morning star of, of, of Jesus, um, the son, both, of, of God. And so I, I, that's a, such a powerful witness at, at the very end um, from Peter that we, I'm, I, you can experience this. You can experience the change. You can experience the love. You can experience the hope. You can begin to experience the rays of that sun, like lift coming up over, over the horizon. An ordinary person can be changed. Um, I'm a, I'm a witness of, of that, Peter says. So, And you just love that the sun still comes up every single day. Mm-hmm. And so we might not get to have witnessed that in person, what Peter did. But I love that he wants to call him the day star because I love that it's like, oh, no, actually, he's still, he's still going to come into your story every single day. Yeah. You still get to witness mm-hmm. that every single day. Amen. That's so cool. Even now. Yeah. Oh, makes that name so much better. Day star means plan on him tomorrow also. Yeah. All right. See y'all next week. This audio was taken from a YouTube video from our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube at Don't Miss This. Also, sign up for our newsletter at don'tmissthisstudy.com and you can follow us on Instagram at Emily Bell Freeman and at Mr. Dave Butler. Thanks for listening. Bye.